Hello and welcome to Drawing Heat, a podcast that covers the best book periods in professional wrestling. I am your host, professional wrestling manager and advocate, Prince Arjun, and in case you didn't hear my special announcement last week, this past Monday, I, and many of my other fellow Americans, had our subscription to the WWE Network expire in the WWE's migration to the Peacock streaming service. Sadly, the Peacock's WWE archive section is a poorly organized fraction of what the WWE Network had. This includes only having the past three years of NXT and SmackDown available for viewing. The WWE is, of course, doing what they can to maintain their usual level of openness and honesty with the fans by only saying that they expect to have the entire archive on Peacock before SummerSlam. There has been no schedule or announcement of what will be released between now and August, but hey, at least they're giving us 10 random episodes of WCW Saturday Night from 1993. All that being said, I have no idea when 2002 to 2003 SmackDowns will be released, nor NXT from 2015, making covering the SmackDown 6 and Battle for Brooklyn a current impossibility. Worse, I have no idea when I will be able to resume my reviews other than it will be at the latest August, unless WWE is lying to us, but that's impossible, am I right? However, much like with my clients, I have no plans on giving up this podcast, even temporarily. Instead, I reached into my list of best book periods in professional wrestling and pulled out one that is on Peacock in its entirety. As you can guess from the intro music this week, the period I'll be covering is the Summer of Punk, which lasted from late June to SummerSlam of 2011. For those of you who don't remember or weren't watching WWE at the time, a man by the name of John Cena was WWE Champion and was in his seventh reign, not counting a very brief time holding the title at the Elimination Chamber. Cena's signature splitting of the crowd between women and children versus men was in full swing, and if you think seven reigns sounds like it might be getting stale, well, then you would be right. CM Punk, himself a two-time World Heavyweight Champion, the WWE's other world championship, had been a workhorse of the upper mid-card, leading several factions, but generally a step below main eventers like John Cena and Randy Orton. Behind the scenes, Punk was legit frustrated with the way he had been booked and was venting some of that frustration backstage. What made this period so well booked wasn't just this one angle, but the entire roster seemed to be renewing itself for the first time in a long while. Multiple angles were brewing, all connecting with one another on both brands. From past misused veterans getting new life like Mark Henry with his Hall of Pain gimmick, to up-and-comers like Alberto Del Rio and Daniel Bryan. As for the Cena vs. Punk angle itself, it was a feud that was not between a face and a heel, but rather represented different demographics of the fanbase. Cena with his large female and younger fan following complete with vanilla white meat babyface persona, was back to the hilt by WWE management. Meanwhile, CM Punk's fan base was mostly male and much more in touch with the internet wrestling community. They were also the ones who endlessly complained about the very same things that made Cena popular with his own demographic, including complaints about work rate and five moves of doom. And then there was a certain famous promo, but we'll get to that soon. Sadly, while this podcast does cover the best book periods in professional wrestling, this period is so short because it went downhill after SummerSlam so rapidly that by October, it all felt like a pleasant dream before waking up and going back to a job you hate. And, well, sometimes things are as memorable for the terrible follow-up as the great start, especially in professional wrestling and especially in the WWE. And that reminds me, a shout-out to friends of the show, Bryce and Dylan, over at the awesome Making Kayfabe podcast. In case you don't know, these two rebook failed angles, and if you would like an alternate reality of where this angle leads to, I'd strongly recommend their episode on the subject, which I will link to in the show notes. And it was because of that episode that I got the idea to do this particular time period, so again, thanks to Bryce and Dylan. So last week on The Raw of June 20th, CM Punk defeated Rey Mysterio and Alberto Del Rio in a triple threat match for the number one contendership for John Cena's WWE Championship at the upcoming Money in the Bank pay-per-view in Punk's hometown of Chicago. Thus, here we are on June 27, 2011, or Season 19, Episode 26 of Raw on Peacock, coming at you live from the Thomas & Mack Center in Las Vegas, Nevada. 
If you don't remember this time period, many Raws were saddled with a gimmick on top of a guest host who was usually a B-list celebrity. Last week's gimmick was the viewers got to choose the participants in several matches. And as for tonight, well, I'll let Cole and Lawler explain. I'm Michael Cole, the man who's always lucky, Jerry the King Lawler. We're at ringside. Oh, that's right. Tonight, every match will be determined by a spin of the wrong roulette wheel. And, oh, no, it's not Pat Sajak. It's Booker T, and he'll give that wheel a spin a rooney if you're not careful. Remember, tonight, all matches, all stipulations determined by the spin of the roulette wheel. Tonight on Raw Roulette. So tonight, we'll be getting a spin rooney of the roulette wheel to determine the match stipulations. Considering how poorly WWE is known to follow match stipulations it actually plans for, I can't say I'm particularly excited about ones it supposedly picks on the fly. But now it's time for a sexy boy, because the music for the one and only Heartbreak Kid plays as Mr. WrestleMania, Shawn Michaels comes down the ramp in civvies, but still doing his full entrance complete with my music, and pyro, and huge crowd reaction. Apparently, lost in the excitement of the roulette wheel, our announced team forgot to mention that Michaels, who had not been seen since his amazing retirement match from WrestleMania 26 nearly a year and a half ago, would be returning tonight. Something tells me that HBK's return would be more interesting than Booker T's spinning a wheel, but hey, I'm no Kevin Dunn. Anyway, Michaels is here to give a few words, so let's take a listen. How could I possibly leave all this? Now, I mean, really, I, I, I gave it the old college try, but, I mean, you got to understand, it's very tough. You know, I mean, 20-plus years of doing something, you can't just stop cold turkey. Hey, is he coming back? And besides, I know I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again. Gosh darn it, I missed you. I mean, let's face it, no matter what anybody says, it was each and every one of you that made this guy from Texas the headliner, the showstopper, the main event. Mr. WrestleMania, and more importantly, you have now made me Mr. Hall of Fame. At this point, Michaels gets self-indulgent as he brags about his new show, before he is interrupted by CM Punk, who is flanked by the new Nexus, which by now has been whittled down to just David Otunga and Michael McGillicuddy, a.k.a. Curtis Axel. Punk takes his sweet time getting into the ring, and when he does, he, as always, has a few things to say. And, of course, Shawn Michaels is never one to keep his mouth shut, so let's take a listen to their conversation. You just couldn't stay away, huh? Your personality is that addictive that you could not step out from these spotlights, even though you said you were going to leave. Is everybody happy to see the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels? You happy? I tell you what is going to make me happy is in a couple weeks, I don't know if you know this, July 17th, I'm leaving. That's my last day. Cheer for that myself. So what you're saying is that none of these people are going to have to hear or see from you again? That sounds like a win-win. It is a win-win because clearly it's what they want. It's what I want. Win. 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 Well, you know, win not only is a hotel on the strip, win is what you didn't do when you left the WWE. You lost. Hey, everybody, I'm going to beat The Undertaker. You didn't beat The Undertaker. You went out a loser, unlike me, who's going to go out a winner. And not only am I going out a winner, I'm going to leave your WWE champion. Have you, uh, have you run all this by John Cena? Because isn't he the WWE Champion? I'm sure he's going to have a problem with this. Uh, yeah, John Cena is the WWE Champion. John Cena is also the person I beat live here on Raw two weeks ago. 
So I have no doubt, Money in the Bank pay-per-view in Chicago, Illinois, I am leaving with John Cena's WWE Championship. And one of the reasons I'm leaving is all of you. It really is sad that you would rather put your hands together and get on your feet for a Hall of Famer, the past, Shawn Michaels, than get on your hands and knees and beg the future to stay. At the end of the day, just so you know, the reason they cheer me is because they know that I'm better than you. You were better than me. See, the thing is, there's nobody back there right now that can hold a candle to me. Just like when you were here, there was nobody in the back that could hold a candle to you. So you saying that you're better than me now, I don't know, that kind of sounds like a, is that a challenge? Is that, a, is that, is that what that is? Is that, is that a challenge? Because I know you, you, you used to be this brash, rebellious superstar. You know, me and you, we're a lot alike in that regard. I'll say whatever I want. I got news for you. You and I are not alike. Certainly we've got similarities. We don't smoke, we don't drink, we don't do drugs, but you know Anymore. something? Fair enough. But you know what? At the end of the day, a guy like you, you've got your style, and I've got mine. So after that lengthy back and forth, David Otunga gets played some sweet chin music, but then we get... <sighs> this. Attention, please. I've just received an email from the anonymous Raw general manager. <laughs> and I quote, Punk, you leaving WWE is your decision. But seeing that you only have three Monday Night Raws left, we're going to make them count. Since you're already in the ring, you're going to have the first match tonight on Raw Roulette. So ladies and gentlemen, let's spin the wheel. Yes, a memory that I wish was blocked out of my mind, the Anonymous Raw General Manager. If you don't remember the Anonymous Raw General Manager, it was a laptop on a podium that would occasionally receive emails that would then be accompanied by a flickering of the house lights, a dumb noise, and Michael Cole reading said email. The stupidity of this whole thing is something I won't go into, nor will I go into the reveal of who the Anonymous General Manager was, but Bryce and Dylan... If you're listening, I think the Raw General Manager would be a great angle for you guys to rebook. We go to the back with the King of the Spinneroonie explaining the Raw Roulette Wheel, and let's take a listen. Hi, this is Booker T, Master of the Spinneroonie. Just want to show you some of the matches we have in store tonight for Raw Roulette. The on a pole match. Special guest referees match. Submission match. Still cake. my favorite, the pillow fight match. Now, CM Punk, I'm going to spin this thing up to find out exactly what kind of match you're going to compete in tonight. Can you imagine CM Punk in a pillow fight match? Who would his opponent be? Let's see exactly what you win. Question mark. I know you're wondering what that means. CM Punk, this means you have a mystery opponent. This also means you, CM Punk, have won an all-expense-paid trip to hell because you're going to face this man. <laughs> so as you heard there, the roulette wheel randomly selected a mystery opponent tonight, but the mystery lasts about two seconds as Booker T immediately reveals that opponent to be Kane, who just so happens to be standing next to the wheel. And while the three members of the new Nexus gawk at the Titantron, Michaels takes the opportunity to superkick the second half of the WWE Tag Team Champions, Michael McGillicuddy. 
So in case their cheap, awful, copper-penny-looking belts didn't make the tag team champions look like chumps already, the Heartbreak Kid is happy to make them look even worse just to intimidate Punk. Then the Flames go up to announce Kane's entrance. We cut to commercials just as the Flames surround the ring and we see Punk's distressed look. Wow, okay. So that was about 15 minutes of talking and maybe 5 to 6 of it was good. Between Shawn Michaels' extended entrance, his raw guest host-like shilling of his TV show, and Punk's extended entrance, there was plenty of fat in this segment. Not to mention, the raw roulette is a huge load of BS that makes little sense so far because what's the point of having a mystery opponent match as an option when nobody knew who Punk's match was against anyway? And yes, I know that wrestling is pre-planned, but don't insert an element of chance that's so transparently fake because it helps kill the illusion. And we can throw in the raw anonymous general manager in there for really dragging down the quality. One thing this very long opening segment reminded me of was how Raw at this time loved to pile on silly and unentertaining gimmicks, Raw guest hosts, roulette wheels, and magic laptops. It all comes off as tacky, stupid, and desperate, and it reflects how bankrupt of ideas the creative team was at this point. That being said, when Punks and Michaels got to arguing with each other, it was actually pretty good because, hey, when you have two talkers this good, sometimes all you need to do is let them go at it verbally. We come back to see Kane very much in control as he tosses Punk out of the ring. When Kane eventually puts Punk back into the ring to beat him up some more, we get a very audible CM Punk chant from the male section of the audience. This is despite Punk being very much the heel in this show so far. Punk attempts a springboard crossbody, but Kane catches him by the throat, prepping for a chokeslam, but Punk brings up his foot against Kane's face, getting out of it. Punk uses this opportunity to take back control. While Punk is in control, Lawler and Cole discuss Punk's decision to leave the WWE. At one point, Jerry mentions Punk has himself to blame for not being a fan favorite, but he does so right after a sizable portion of the audience chanted Punk's name and booed loudly at Kane kicking out of Punk's pin for two. Way to not make yourself look like a tool, Jerry. Anyway, Kane tries to take control back, but Punk plays possum well enough to catch Kane on the top rope. The two struggle, but Kane delivers a headbutt, sending Punk to the canvas. And, well, take a listen to what happens afterwards. 320. Look at Punk. How wise is that of Punk to roll out of the way? All right, he was wise. I don't think he wants any, any more to do with uh, Kane, especially with Kane on that top rope. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Punk. Is he walking out of here? I mean, I don't blame him. I mean, he has his championship match in three weeks against John Cena. Because you're probably a coward. But is he telling the world that he's a coward here? I don't think so. Punk's taking a walk, but why does he care? He's already the number one contender for the WWE title. So, as you heard there, Punk takes advantage of the loophole in modern professional wrestling in that matches on TV don't really matter, so he simply left the match booked by a wheel, knowing there would be no consequences in doing so especially considering the fact that management can't do anything to him besides fire him when he's leaving soon anyway. Overall, this was not a great match, partially because Kane is not a fantastic worker, and partially because Punk seemed to be giving a half-assed effort, though whether that was kayfabe or not, I don't really know. But I did like the ending because it helps build the story for the night. Punk is leaving soon, and he doesn't give an F about what management can do to him at this point, especially because he's locked in the number one contendership. When we come back from commercial, we are hawked wwepoker.com, which was a site where you could learn to play poker and you could play to win WWE swag. In case you're curious, as far as I can tell, this site has been defunct since 2013, and I couldn't find any screenshots of it while it was up. So if you happen to have a few, send them my way on Twitter at DrawingHeatPod. We come back to the ethereal music of Sin Cara, who at this time was played by Mystico. The story behind the Sin Cara persona and the two men who portrayed it during this time is too long and complex to get into here. Suffice to say, Sin Cara's opening shtick of leaping over the top rope from the floor is very, very impressive. And we get his opponent, Evan Airborne, aka Matt Seidel, who nowadays graces AEW, even though he had the unfortunate experience of slipping off the turnbuckle during his surprise debut at AEW All Out in September of 2020. Ouch. Supposedly, last week, WWE's servers crashed when too many people were trying to vote, 
but this matchup was what the tally eventually ended up favoring. And say what you want about the internet wrestling community, if this is the match they voted for, then they're doing something right. The bell rings, but whoever did it forgot that we still need to... Uh, spin the wheel. We go back to Booker T, and let's take a quick listen. Let's check it out. This match, the people want to see this one last week. Hell, I want to see this one last week. You got the man of mystery, Sin Cara, taking on the man that flies as high as a 747 swords, Evan Bourne. I cannot wait for this one. What about you, Eve? Booker, I've been waiting to see this matchup for you. I'll tell you what, right. I'm going to let you spin this one up right here so we can find out what kind of match these two death-defying superstars are going to compete in tonight. Spin them up, baby. Let's do it. Well, Pat Sajak has Vanna White, but we've got Eve. Much better. Oh, yeah. You I just hope it ain't no fight matches. I don't want to see that between these two superstars. What? A no-count-out match. Everybody out there needs to take a seat, get something you like to drink, because this one right here, oh, it's going to be old like neck bone. Now can you dig that? So along with Eve Torres, Booker T spins the wheel to get the stipulation of the match where the bell has already rung. No countouts. It's not a stipulation that will add to this match, but it probably won't take away from the match much either. As for the segment itself, what Booker T says makes very little sense, but he's always entertaining as hell while he says it, so there's your silver lining for the Raw Roulette Wheel for tonight. We start off with some very fast mat grappling between Sin Cara and Bourne before Sin Cara, well, I don't know what the name of it is, but he reverses an arm drag into a sort of springboard bulldog on Bourne. Sin Cara follows up with an old school into a corkscrew arm drag that sends Bourne flying across the ring and under the ropes. Sin Cara slides out of the ring, and the two stare down, and, despite the fact that there's no count out, get back in the ring anyway. Leg kicks are exchanged as the crowd chants Power Ranger, presumably at Sin Cara. Sin Cara attempts a sunset flip, but Bourne flips out of it and delivers a double stromp for a two count. Bourne sends Sin Cara to, into the ropes with an Irish whip, but Sin Cara does a handstand to bounce back at Bourne, who attempts a flying kick trying to take down the bouncing Sin Cara. Sin Cara follows up with a head scissors takeover that sends Bourne to the outside. Sin Cara bounces off the ropes and attempts a suicide dive under the top rope to a big crowd reaction. Sin Cara puts Bourne in a fireman's carry, but Bourne reverses whatever Sin Cara was planning by performing a DDT on through the ramp. Bourne puts Sin Cara back into the ring. Sin Cara tries for a running drop kick, but Bourne skillfully jumps out of the way. He attempts a backslide, but only gets a two. A set of reversals end up with Sin Cara trying a pin on Bourne, but only getting two for himself. A simple knee to the jaw by Evan Bourne also gets a two. Bourne tosses Sin Cara into the turnbuckle, but only gets a face full of boot when he tries to run at the luchador. Sin Cara then follows up with what can only be described as a springboard corkscrew elbow, but again, only for a two. A series of kicks ends with Sin Cara on the mat, and Bourne performing a very high and great-looking standing moonsault and a pin, but yet again, only for a two. Evan Bourne gets on the top rope with Sin Cara down and attempts to air Bourne, a shooting star press, but Sin Cara gets out of the way in time and Bourne compensates enough to land on his feet. However, this leaves him open for the La Mystica, a spinning head scissors, for the one, two, three. For the most part, I tend to summarize matches for this podcast and only watch them once. This match was so fun and exciting, I watched it three times and did my best to call all the action. If you're a fan of high flyers, this is definitely a match worth going out of your way for, even if it didn't really have a storyline. A great follow-up considering so far we've had an overlong opening talking segment and a lackluster opening match. We go to the back to see Kofi Kingston with Booker T, and let's take a listen. Yo, check it out, dog. The anonymous Raw General Manager have given you the power to spin the wheel to find out what kind of match you will have with Dolph Ziggler coming up next. So I tell you okay. what, anything can happen. So have at it. <laughs> okay, well, let's do this now. <laughs> Excuse me. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Excuse Seriously. me. What up, Vicky? Excuse me. What are you doing? Uh, are you serious? Does this count? Does this mean? Man, I don't know, man. Hold on, let's see what happens here. Whoa, wait a minute. Player's choice. That means, Kofi, you get to pick the match that you want. You got anything in mind? As a matter of fact, I do. I'm going to pick the match that I personally voted for 
Last week. What are you talking about? I'm talking about Dolph Ziggler versus Kofi Kingston one-on-one. -on -one I like that. With Vicky Guerrero banned from ringside. What? <laughs> Did you say banned? Good spin, Vicky. Good spin. Excuse me. <laughs> Look, I, I ain't got nothing to do with it. So, as you heard there, Vicky Guerrero, manager and advocate of Dolph Ziggler, enters and spins the wheel because... whatever. Kofi's match stipulation? Vicky is banned from ringside. Well, so far the raw roulette wheel has been consistent, consistently nonsensical and useless. We're reminded about the Money in the Bank pay-per-view, and it's noted that as of 2011, every holder of a Money in the Bank briefcase has gone on to win either the WWE or the World Championship. Our lineup for the Raw brand Money in the Bank match is Kofi Kingston, Rey Mysterio, Evan Bourne, Alberto Del Rio, R-Truth, Jack Swagger, Alex Riley, and The Miz. Which, to be honest with you, sounds pretty good on paper. Kofi Kingston then comes out to a great crowd reaction for his match against Dolph Ziggler. Excuse me, however, because his entrance mat music is interrupted by a certain manager and advocate, so let's take a listen. So, as you heard there, Vicky tries to defy her ban only for WWE referees to gently escort her off the ramp, but not before Jerry Lawler can get an unfunny fat joke in. Thanks for that, Jerry. Anyway, down comes US Champion Dolph Ziggler and... Wait, is this a US Championship match? Cole and Lawler seem to care more about discussing a dance contest between Cole and Vicky from the week before than the US title. So, if they don't care... Why the hell should I? Speaking of not caring, Ziggler tries to pull a CM Punk and just leave, but Kofi isn't having it and clubs him from behind before sending him back into the ring. If only Kane had thought of that. Momentum swings back and forth between both men, and eventually both men are on the outside and Kofi is sent face first into the ring post and spills to the floor looking stunned. We go to commercial and come back to the action inside the ring where Ziggler is in control with a headlock on Kofi. Ziggler keeps control before he hits a Famasser, but only gets a two. Ziggler stays in control while on commentary, Jerry throws in an ugly joke on Vicky again because she's a woman and a heel and she's over the age of 25. Kofi manages to finally battle back, but Ziggler delivers a nasty high kick and sends Kofi into the ropes. Kofi, however, bounces off the ropes and hits a Trouble in Paradise out of nowhere and gets the one, two, so apparently this was a non-title match, but that doesn't subdue Kofi's celebration of his clean win over the US champion. Overall, the match itself was good, as one would expect between these two guys in 2011. However, blink and you'll miss that Ziggler has the number two title on Raw, the US title. The announcers make no mention of it, but sure do make stupid jokes about Cole stripping in Las Vegas, as well as jokes about Vicky Guerrero being fat and ugly. Oh, and did I mention that the U.S. champion lost cleanly on TV? Yeah, that too. Again, this goes to show that at this time, the powers that be at the WWE seemed to care about whatever stupid gimmick they were hawking much more than championships as a way to sell their show. We are then informed that later tonight, we'll have another Raw Roulette match between Cena and R-Truth. And I'm guessing all these roulette matches are non-title, but it would be nice to hear that. Speaking of the wheel, we're back to Booker T with Maurice, and let's take a listen. Man, Maurice, we have had a great night here tonight at Raw Roulette. Man, we kicked it off tonight with CM Punk getting the shock of a lifetime with that mystery opponent, Kane. And then Sin Cara and Evan Bourne went out there and just stone cold rocked it in that no count out match. Man, I haven't been on a roller coaster like this since I was at the Las Vegas Strip. <laughs> and then, man, Kofi Kingston did exactly what I thought he should do. Having Vicky Guerrero banned from ringside. Man, that's one of the first times we haven't seen Vicky out there just squealing hey, and hey, running hey, out. Hey, 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 Why I have to face the big show again? I got better things to do than that, man. 
agree with you. I mean, E already beat him at Capital Punishment, so... Look, look, look here, look here, man. I don't make the matches, man. Just who make the spins. Alright? I would ask you to make the spin, but, uh... You already know that, so I'm gonna do it for you, alright? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Why don't you spin the wheel for me? Sure. Maybe you bring me some good luck tonight. Huh? Okay. Ah, go ahead. Why not? So, as Maurice flirts with Alberto Del Rio, the wheel lands on Steel Cage, and Booker T has a few things to say about it. Shit has been that. Tell me she did not just spin that. Steel Cage match. Man, if you didn't have bad luck, you wouldn't have no luck at all, dog. Whoa, Alberto Del Rio. That, honey, man. He must face the Big Show in a steel cage next. So Rio versus Big Show in a steel cage is something I'm definitely looking forward to. But again, we really didn't need the roulette wheel to get there. But yeah, what can you do? We get our Just for Men Slam of the Week, which is Mark Henry delivering a world strongest slam on the Big Show through the Spanish announce table, which I got to say is impossible to top as far as slams of the week. We come back to the ring, which is surrounded by a steel cage. The sounds of a Lamborghini's horn interrupts Alberto Del Rio's entrance music as the Mexican playboy drives it next to the ramp. Sadly, Del Rio's personal ring announcer, Ricardo Rodriguez, is recovering from an attack by the Big Show, so we're stuck with plain old Justin Roberts. His opponent, Big Show Paul White, comes out looking no worse for the wear despite being the victim of the Just For Men Slam of the Week. Big Show looks eager to start, while Del Rio looks rightly worried. As soon as the bell rings, Del Rio acts on his fear by trying to immediately climb out, but gets a loud clubbing blow to the, his back for his trouble. Big Show continues to stay in control with a loud chop on Del Rio's chest and using the steel cage as a way to continue the torment. Del Rio does manage to slow things down by putting a leg bar on show, but as he does, SmackDown wrestler Mark Henry, a.k.a. the world's strongest man, comes down the ramp. Henry tells a referee to stay out of my way and you won't get hurt, and then he yells at Lawler and Cole to... Meanwhile, back in the ring, Big Show gets out of the leg bar and delivers a big right hand onto Del Rio's chest as the smaller man runs at him. Show follows up with another big chop that sends Del Rio sprawling to the mat. Show attempts a choke slam, but Del Rio sends some kicks to Show's body and gets out of it and then hits a DDT while Henry continues to taunt Big Show from the outside. A pin only gets a two, but it still gives Del Rio the opportunity to try and get it to the cage but only gets to the second rope before Show recovers and drags him off. He puts Del Rio onto the other turnbuckle and sets up a superplex. Del Rio tries to punch his way out, but the superplex goes off anyway, causing the whole ring to shake despite the cage on top of it. At this point, Henry seems to be getting impatient and climbs the ring steps. He then rips the cage door off despite being able to easily just open it. <laughs> You know, the door was open, chief, break everything. However, we soon see why Henry ripped the door off when he slides it into the ring and gets in himself. He delivers a kick to show while Del Rio crawls out to safety and victory, but Mark Henry doesn't seem to care. He has other plans, so take a listen. Now what? Come on, Mark, Big Show's... He's helpless out there. Keep your bill paid! Oh, Mark, 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 no! 
you gonna do? What you gonna do? Find me? Come on. So, in case you didn't pick up on it, Henry picks up the cage door and slams it against Big Show, who's leaning against one of the walls of the cage. The entire cage wall gives away, spilling the unresponsive show to the outside. A parade of referees, as well as Gerald Briscoe, come out to try and stop Henry and protect Show from further injury. For his part, Henry continues to threaten everyone, including members of the crowd, who shout, You suck! at him, before also doing some damage to one of the announce tables in anger, before we go to commercial. So, just to give you context, Mark Henry's pro wrestling career was about 15 years old at this point, and it was filled with bland, boring gimmicks, or in the case of sexual chocolate, incredibly stupid and offensive ones. He had for years settled into the mid-card as a fixture for mid-tier titles and WWE's version of ECW. But as you see now, Henry is far more focused and more frightening than he has ever been before. And just to show everyone how serious he is, He's going after the biggest man on the roster, the Big Show, and beating the ever-loving crap out of him regardless of Show being in a match, while also threatening everyone and everything in his path. I think this storyline gets a little overshadowed by the Summer of Punk, but holy crap, I remember being in shock that someone who could be this effective as a scary, unstoppable heel had spent years in an embarrassing gimmick or as a bland mid-card babyface. Luckily for us, our journey to the Hall of Pain is only going to get better from here. Great stuff. We go to commercial and come back to a replay of Mark Henry's brutal attack on Big Show and Big Show's slowly assisted recovery. But it's time to holla for Divas champion Kelly Kelly. Last week, thanks to the power of the people, Kelly Kelly had defeated Brie Bella for the Divas title and was deeply emotional afterwards, despite the title not meaning much and looking ugly as hell to boot. And Nikki Bella, Bree's twin sister, gets a non-title match tonight, and let's go to Booker T to tell us what kind of match the wheel will choose for them. Now, it's time for some divas in action. Let's spin this thing up, and me personally, I hope it land on the pillow fight match. <laughs> Nikki. match somebody is going to tap well despite booker's hope for a pillow match we get what might actually have been a random selection from the wheel because when i consider kelly kelly versus nikki bella i sure as hell don't think of submission match and by the booing of the crowd they're in the same boat i'm in as for the match nikki starts off in control with an armbar to the excitement of no one as the crowd goes silent kelly fights back and applies a boston crab and gets the submission, and, uh, that's it. Afterwards, Brie attacks Kelly, and the twins apply twin magic, bold words, as they double-team her. Eve Torres comes out to attack with sloppy kicks and elbows to help Kelly Kelly, because... whatever. Just like the long opening segment reminded me of Raw's piling on of stupid gimmicks at this time, this match didn't do much but remind me of just how crappy the women's, I mean... Divas division was. Amazing what can happen in just a decade, especially in a place like the WWE. We go to commercial and come back to an interview with Tough Enough winner Andy Levine. Now that's a name I've not heard in a long time. A long time. Because this guy amounted to absolutely nothing in the WWE, and this episode is already running a little long, I won't play it for you. But, yeah, it's a little sad to watch knowing that nobody would remember this guy a year from now. After that segment, we're back with Booker T, who has somebody familiar with him, and let's take a listen. Tonight it has been a great night here on Raw for Raw Roulette. We have Rey Mysterio here just waiting and waiting to see exactly what it's going to be. You can put some magic on that spin book, oh, come on. Oh, no, man. We're all... 
on tornado match, Rage. Tell me that doesn't mean what I think it means. This means exactly what you think it means, Ray. It means you and Riley versus Swagger and the Miz. All four guys in the ring at one time. Only thing I can say, Ray, is good luck, my friend. Handle your bitches, dog. <laughs> However, we're not done with Booker T yet because he spots someone on the side, and let's find out who it is. Tell me. I did not just see that. What you doing here, dog? What am I doing here, Booker? What am I doing here? Can you kidding me? The very best in Nitro. What? The hottest triple DVD on the planet. It's flying off the shelf, yeah. bro. And you know who the host is, though. Who is that? It's me. D <laughs> D P. Hey, who else? You got a title match on there, don't you? Man, triple cage match, me and Jerry. I bang him right oh, in the middle. I ain't talking about that one, man. Talk about you and Steve. What are you gonna be a buzzkill for, man? Still one of the best matches I've ever seen. And DDP. What, what up, dog? You alright? I'm not bad. I'm just here to tell you guys. And there are a lot of superstars in the back. I've been seeing you guys are relics. Oh. And washed up. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is you guys are taking up my TV time. And as the future of this company, I'm recommending you both leave within 10 minutes. Or you'll be leaving this building on stretchers. And you can trust me on that. Oh, goodness. Gosh, that's gotta hurt. Can you relics help me pick that up and dump it in the back? How you um, doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. Hey, can I, uh, can I see the DVD? This? The very yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. You want to know something? I've absolutely never seen any of this. What? Yeah. Check but it out. No, I mean, I was, I was uh, working that night. But I'm sure, I'm quite sure, it's very exciting. So a lot happening there, but the long and short of it is, Rey Mysterio and Alex Riley are going up against Miz and Jack Swagger in a tornado tag match. The Best of Nitro DVD is now available. Drew McIntyre is bragging that he's the future of the company nearly a decade before he will be the future of the company and win the WWE Championship. And Shawn Michaels doesn't mind super kicking the future of the company if that future is being a total dick. This segment was kind of a mess, but hell, I enjoyed watching it. What more can you ask for? We then get an anti-bullying PSA, which includes the Bella Twins, who we just saw beating up another woman for winning a match. But now it's awesome! Because Michael Cole's favorite superstar, The Miz, is out for his tornado tag match. His partner Jack Swagger follows, as does his opponent, his former protege Alex Riley, and Rey Mysterio. This being Tornado, everyone is in at the same time, and we have Swagger tied up with Rey, and former mentor and protege tied up together on the other side of the ring. The heels start off in control, with Miz going to the outside to assault Riley, while in the ring, Swagger sends Rey hard, chest first, into the turnbuckle. He follows up with a powerful backbreaker and a Vader bomb, but only for a two-count. Having taken care of A-Rai on the outside, Miz gets on the top turnbuckle as Swagger puts Ray in an electric chair. Ray gets out of it, however, and shoves Swagger into the Miz, sending him crotch first into the turnbuckle. Ouch. Riley gets into the ring and delivers a splash on Swagger, sending him slumping to the canvas, before he grabs Ray and sends him into a powerful baseball slide kick into Swagger. Swagger goes out of the ring for a powder, but Ray doesn't let up as he takes down Swagger with a head-scissors takedown. Back in the ring, Riley shows off his impressive athleticism by leaping to the top turnbuckle. He puts Miz into a hip toss off from the top rope, but only gets a two. We go to commercial and come back to see that the tides have turned, with Riley and Mysterio lying on the mat in pain. Miz and Swagger send Riley into the ropes for a double-team move, but Riley counters and attempts to roll up on the Miz, but is broken up by Swagger. While this is happening, Ray attempts to crossbody off the top turnbuckle, but Swagger catches him in midair and delivers a gorilla press slam into a gust buster on the Miz's waiting knee. Ouch. Miz follows up with a DDT on Mysterio, but only gets a two. Swagger takes Riley to the outside as Miz puts Mysterio on the top turnbuckle, preps for a superplex, but Ray blocks it and hits right hands, sending Miz sprawling to the mat. Mysterio hits a Hurin Kanrana, which Swagger sort of botches, but still goes stumbling into Miz. Mysterio Irish whips Swagger into the ropes, which Riley pulls down, spilling the All-American American to the outside. Mysterio kicks the face of the kneeling Miz and attempts a pin, but only gets a two. 
Ray follows up with more kicks that send Miz into the second rope, and he signals for the 619. But as he bounces off the rope, Swagger pulls him out of the ring and dumps him to the outside. Swagger gets back in the ring, only to get spine-busted by Riley. He attempts a pin, but it's broken up by his former mentor. Miz follows up with a reverse DDT on Riley, but only gets yet another two count. Riley comes back with a clothesline on the Miz that sends both of them to the outside. Back in the ring, Swagger delivers a big boot to the running Mysterio, but for another two. Swagger screams in frustration before he sets up Ray for a gut wrench powerbomb, but Ray counters, sending Swagger into the ropes for yet another 619 attempt. This time, however, it's caught by Swagger, who turns it into an ankle lock while Ray is holding on to the second rope. Miz jumps onto the apron and applies a headlock, trapping Ray with two opponents on him simultaneously. I suppose this is allowed by the rules of Tornado Tag, as the referee does nothing to stop it. Riley recovers long enough to pull Miz down, which gives Ray the opportunity to escape. On the outside, Riley sends Miz into the barrier, while Ray trips Swagger into the ropes. Riley hits a kick on Swagger, which causes him to awkwardly stagger to the ropes on the other side of the ring. The third time's a charm as Mysterio hits the 619 for real. This sends Swagger into a jumping DDT by Riley, which is followed up with a diving crossbody on Swagger for the 1, 2, 3. So while there were a couple of notable botches in this match, overall it was a ton of fun to watch with the action never stopping, but also not getting too overwhelming. And we didn't get too much of Cole drooling over his man crush on the announce table, which is also nice. We're then shown a promo that features shots of Michaels looking like he stepped out of a Cabela's catalog, interspersed between shots of him at various WWE events over the years. We're reminded that he's on Macmillan River Adventures, a show on the Outdoor Channel. Yeah. We then go to the back to the wheel, where we see R-Truth talking to himself, and let's take a listen to his ramblings and the eventual wheel spin. If the conspiracy... It's supposed to be against Your dog. me. What's up, dog? I don't mean to interrupt you, but, um, you mind spinning the damn wheel? It's fat back greasy. Let me have a shake at it. Let me have a shake at it, okay? Have a shake at it. Make sure ain't no conspiracy amongst us. What we got? Tables match. Too big. I can dig that. You see, tonight, John Cena is going to get got. That's what I'm saying. It's all the little Jimmy's. All the little Jimmy's know what I mean when Yo, I say man, you mind, you, you mind leaving, man, because you, you begin to scare me, all right? No, I'm telling you. I, I, tell you I tell you what. Better yet. Look, I'm... He don't get it. See, the conspiracy... While R-Truth is babbling, he's interrupted by Booker T, who makes him spin the wheel, which lands on tables for his match against John Cena. He babbles some more, and that's that. Great reminder that at this time, R-Truth is a Fruit Loop ranting about conspiracies involving... whatever. We go to commercial and come back to Justin Roberts announcing our match tonight, and we see the tables of surrounding the ring. R-Truth is introduced to no entrance music, which I totally forgot was part of his gimmick. Considering his previous gimmick was that of a happy lucky go rapper, uh, this is quite a change. But the time is now for a mixed reaction to Cena's traditional entrance with the WWE Championship. The bell rings as Truth starts off with a series of right hands. And as is typical, we get dueling Let's Go Cena versus Cena Sucks. Michael Cole covers this by saying, John Cena stirs every emotion imaginable within the WWE universe. Uh, be on lookout for more of those cover stories as we continue this timeline. Cena turns the tide by delivering a fisherman suplex on R-Truth. He goes outside to get a table, but he's a little too early as R-Truth recovers quick enough to, l to deliver a clubbing blow on Cena and send him back into the ring. Cena battles back by turning an attempted submission into a test of strength, and a dropkick. He attempts an attitude adjustment, but R-Truth counters it into a Thunder-type maneuver that looked pretty good. R-Truth gets a table from the outside, takes it into the ring, and sets it up into the corner. He tries to suplex Cena into it, 
but Cena reverses it into a suplex of his own. R-Truth manages to take control by bringing Truth to the outside and sends him headfirst into the steel steps. Cena goes to the ramp to get another table and sets it up in the middle of the ring. He puts Truth in the ring and sets up for the attitude adjustment, but CM Punk is there to pull the table out of the way, preventing Cena from winning the match. Punk grins at Cena and mocks his you-can't-see-me gesture, infuriating his opponent for the next pay-per-view. Cena gets out of the ring, and he and Punk brawl before Cena tosses Punk back into the ring. Cena starts to put Punk in a fireman's carry for the attitude adjustment, but before he can, Truth delivers a shoulder tackle into Cena and through the table in the corner for the win of the non-title matchup. I gotta admit, I did not see that one coming. Truth rolls out of the ring and to the back, taking his victory and leaving the area with no celebration. Punk gets a microphone and walks to the top of the ramp, takes a seat cross-legged while Cena struggles to recover in the ring. And now the moment that we were all waiting for, even if we didn't know it at the time. Yes, Punk has some very noteworthy things to say, so please take a listen to what will become known as the Pipe Bomb promo. John Cena, while you, you lay there, hopefully as uncomfortable as you possibly can be, I want you to listen to me. I want you to digest this, because before I leave in three weeks, with your WWE Championship, I have a lot of things I want to get off my chest. I don't hate you, John. I don't even dislike you. I do like you. I like you a hell of a lot more than I like most people in the back. I hate this idea that you're the best. Because you're not. I'm the best. I'm the best in the world. There's one thing you're better at than I am, and that's kissing Vince McMahon's ass. You're as good as kissing Vince's ass as Hulk Hogan was. I don't know if you're as good as Dwayne, though. He's a pretty good ass kisser. Always was and still is. Oops, I'm breaking the fourth wall. I am the best wrestler in the world. I've been the best ever since day one when I walked into this company and I've been vilified and hated since that day because Paul Heyman saw something in me that nobody else wanted to admit. That's right, I'm a Paul Heyman guy. You know who else was a Paul Heyman guy? Brock Lesnar. And he split, just like I'm splitting, but the biggest difference between me and Brock is I'm going to leave with the WWE Championship. so many of Vincent K. McMahon's imaginary brass rings that it's finally dawned on me that they're just that. They're completely imaginary. And the only thing that's real is me and the fact that day in and day out for almost six years I have proved to everybody in the world that I am the best on this microphone, in that ring, even at commentary. Nobody can touch me. And yet, no, how many, no matter how many times I prove it, I'm not on your lovely little collector cups. I'm not on the cover of the program. I'm barely promoted. I don't get to be in movies. I'm certainly not on any crappy show on the USA Network. I'm not on the poster of WrestleMania. I'm not in the signature that's produced at the start of the show. I'm not on Conan O'Brien, I'm not on Jimmy Fallon, but the fact of the matter is I should be, and trust me, this isn't sour grapes, but the fact that Dwayne is in the main event of WrestleMania next year and I'm not makes me sick. Oh, hey, let, let me get something straight. Those of you who are cheering me right now, you are just the biggest part of me leaving as anything else. Because you're the ones that are sipping out of those collector cups right now. 
You're the ones that buy those programs that my face isn't on the cover of. And then at 5 in the morning at the airport, you try to shove it in my face so you can get an autograph and try to sell it on eBay because you're too lazy to go get a real job. I'm leaving with the WWE Championship on July 17th. And hell, who knows? Maybe I'll go defend it in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Maybe I'll go back to Ring of Honor. Hey, Cole Cabana, how you doing? The reason I'm leaving is you people, because after I'm gone, you're still going to pour money into this company. I'm just a spoke on the wheel. The wheel's going to keep turning, and I understand that. But Vince McMahon's going to make money despite himself. He's a millionaire who should be a billionaire. You know why he's not a billionaire? It's because he surrounds himself with glad-handing nonsensical douchebag yes-men like John Laurinaitis who's going to tell him everything that he wants to hear. And I'd like to think that maybe this company will be better after Vince McMahon's dead. But the fact is, it's, it's going to get taken over by his idiotic daughter and his doofus son-in-law and the rest of his stupid family. Let me tell you a personal story about Vince McMahon, all right? Do we do this whole bully camp? So at the mention of WWE's anti-bully campaign, Punk's microphone is finally cut off. He continues to yell at the camera and showboat as we go off the air. Wow. Just, wow. I'll be perfectly honest, I have so many thoughts about this promo, I don't think a normal discussion about the overall impact of it near the end of this episode can possibly do it justice. I do plan on having a mini episode about it in the near future, maybe even with a surprise thrown in, in order to give it the time it deserves. Suffice to say, despite Punk still taking a dump on the audience in a heelish way, he spoke to a huge section of the WWE audience at the time, me included. The idea that people only grab the brass ring in the WWE corporate world are the ones who kiss ass while real fan favorites like CM Punk flounder at the whims of McMahon and his flunkies is one that resonated big time. In fact, one only needs to go on Twitter or the comment section of Cageside Seats to see that, if anything, this feeling from the fans has only gotten worse nearly a decade later. Not only that, he truly did break the fourth wall by mentioning things that are normally forbidden for superstars to mention, such as other promotions like New Japan, fired wrestlers like his friend Colt Cabana, as well as bringing up Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar, who had been MIA from WWE for about seven years at that point. That definitely gave the impression that this was not scripted and may have only been planned in the loosest sense of the word, and that made it much more impactful. Bringing things back to the episode itself and the build-up to Money in the Bank, to say this promo helped raise the profile of that main event is an understatement, to say the least. Especially when people at this time looked up and found out that, yes, CM Punk's contract really was up after Money in the Bank, and no, he had not yet re-signed. And, oh yeah, that pay-per-view? It would be at Punk's hometown of Chicago, which is a town that is up there with New York, Boston, and Philly, this fan base filled with the very informed and very local. To say I'm excited for that match is to put it mildly. Overall, my rating for this episode of Raw is a thumbs up or a 4 stars out of 5. The Divas match, the stupidity of the Raw roulette wheel, the excruciatingly long opening segment, the misuse or lack of use of a returning Shawn Michaels, and the lackluster match between Punk and Kane bring the show down for sure. However, all the other wrestling on the show was good to excellent, in particular, the Sin Cara versus Evan Bourne match, which could have been pay-per-view quality had it been a couple of minutes longer. Also, the brutalization of Big Show by Mark Henry and the continuation of his great new character was a fantastic spot that could have carried this whole show alone. But I can't help but give the show rating a boost thanks to that ending promo by CM Punk. When a segment is still talked about a decade later, it's definitely worth an extra star in the ratings at least. What isn't worth the star, however, is my least valuable player, the Raw Roulette Wheel. While Booker T tried his best to make these segments entertaining, they brought exactly nothing of interest to the table and only served to waste time. 
hopefully we won't be bringing back that stupid gimmick anytime soon. As for my MVP of the night, it can't be anyone else but Punk for that ending promo. I won't rehash it, but let's just say any other selection for MVP would simply not measure up to Punk tonight. And that's it for this episode of Drawing Heat. I am, as always, professional wrestling manager and advocate Prince Arjun. Be sure to leave me a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you got this podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Drawing Heat Pod, and I will see you next time. And I'd like to think that maybe this company will be better after Vince McMahon's dead, but the fact is, it's it's going to get taken over by his idiotic daughter and his doofus son-in-law and the rest of his stupid family.